Triple trifecta might be uh, a double. I don't know. Is that six? Anyways, guys, we're kind of my Sign. Nine. Nine. Like you. <laughs> All right. Well, connection, intention, purpose, guys. We're coming at you with the science today. Last week, Art Thief and Art Dealer were making an appearance. And, dude, I just want to say I love that conversation about good thief versus bad thief and dealing the art and man that was awesome so if you guys have not listened to that go back and listen to it but this is a really important thing because we're going we're making our way through the three-legged stool right we want people to know okay what who are we as chiropractors what's important to us what have we what have we um kind of found in our journey and science is something that you know both of us we hold highly um and i think i left it on the voice message last night i was like i think chiropractic is the only profession where you can be an artist, a scientist, and a philosopher at, within the profession. You know what I mean? A thousand percent. A thousand percent, dude. Yeah. Ain't no short so, legs over here. Ain't no short legs. <laughs> we don't ride like that. No wobbly so guys, stools. Some, huh? All the tools? No wobbly stools. <laughs> so, man, we got a ton of snow. Um, it's like a foot out there. I don't know if you it's super cold here. It. It's like negative eight. Today. Uh, it's on the screen. Can't really see it. But yeah, guys, science today is going to be clutch. Um, we're going to be pulling from a couple different sources. Um, two of my favorite that I have found to be um, ones that I continually go through is Heidi Havoc's The Reality Check and then uh, James Chestnut's. Um, so it, he has this whole thing called the wellness practice, but one of the books he has is called the 14 foundational premises for the scientific and philosophical validation of chiropractic wellness paradigm. Um, and I love that right there because like so many people, so many, so much chiropractic research is focused on pain, right? You and I have both voiced like opinion on like how irritating that is sometimes just like the focus is on pain. The focus is on, um, neck pain, back pain, we know we're good at that, okay? Like what? Very what one-dimensional. Else? Very one-dimensional. So like what else can we get into? Um, but I thought we'd start with Heidi's stuff. Um, yeah. A couple different things. Obviously, when we discuss um, chiropractic, people are trying to flush out the word subluxation. And I hate that they're trying to flush it out um, and trying to bring in different things and, and terminology because A – our lexicon, I think, is important, right? Um, totally. But at the same time, you know. It makes us unique, right? So It makes us unique. Um, and I think when you, and I don't know if you can touch on this too with like DD's reasoning behind choosing subluxation or, or BJ's um, and why there's they. There's a lot. There's a lot of cool stuff that I think a lot of chiropractors miss. Um, but I wanted to bring in like Heidi's simple explanation Here's just what chiropractors mean by the term vertebral subluxation is a dysfunctional area in the spine 
that negatively affects health and well-being due to its influence on the nervous system. Like, just simply put, that's what subluxation is to a chiropractor. Um, in my opinion, I think that's like as simple as it gets without like overcomplicating it, right? Um, so you can look at it. Like, so, go ahead. You can look at it so many different ways, right? So that's that's the beauty yeah. of that being so simple, right? Yeah, that's like the like breakdown. We can get into you know like the mental, physical, spiritual, emotional aspects of a subluxation, um, but that at its core is is really what we're looking at, and I think. Um, that's who we are as chiropractors, like the subluxation and its effect on the nervous system. That's what we seek to, and in, in, intentionally with purpose, seek to adjust, right? So, 100%. Um, with that being said, she kind of goes into some stuff. And if you haven't picked up Heidi Havoc's book, I highly recommend, it, especially for you young chiros out there, because there's a lot of stuff that she goes over that she maintains um, philosophical congruency, which I love. And she addresses in her book and she talks about, okay, this is what BJ Palmer and Diddy said. How does it line up with the science today? Um, and it, science supports it. Every, I mean, people want to act like it doesn't, but it does. So. Well, and the, and the, the sweet part about what you just said is, you know, they're looking at a lot of like the foundational writings and teachings of BJ and Didi and what they were really going off of is intuition and theory. Right. So like, they didn't have all that we have today. Right. And and, in this, in the history of science, how many scientists live and die and aren't validated till like a hundred years after they're dead. Right. Like they die penniless. And like most of the time they're like in ridicule and like in exile because what they're saying whenever anything new is introduced in the scientific community, that seems radical. It's almost instantly shot down and like, mm. it's uh, not demonized, but like they, it's not encouraged a lot of the time. And like they end up right. being ridiculed and ends up being 10, 50, hundred years later, there's validation to a lot of the theories that ended up, uh, right. ended up being radical about. So it's right. cool that you said that. I love what you said there though about the theories too, because I think even nowadays we're so scared to use that terminology of For sure, dude. Right. Hundred percent. Yeah. But when you break it down to science at its core, A, they all start with a theory, right? Mm -hmm. But then B, a much of what we have today in our taught in not only chiropractic school, but medical school, like anything, is theory. Like I was listening to the other day just how a muscle actually works and it's it's contraction. It's the sliding filament theory. Yeah. Right. It's still a theory. And like we use it like how many times have we been taught that since, since middle school, you know, thousands of times. So it's, it's funny to Dang, me. If you're, learning the, if you're learning the sliding filament theory in middle school, you got a nice little uh, education system set up for yourself. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Well, maybe I lied. I don't know. I think I did, but I don't know if I actually did. Maybe at least high school. <laughs> Dang. You let me know where you went to high school, bro. And I'm, when and if I ever have kids, bro, they're going to your high school. <laughs> Indiana, shut up. Yeah, for real. Um, one thing that well, when we get back to Heidi's book is she talks about the subluxation, why it is crucial to the brain, and Chestnut touches on this too, because many people look at subluxation as purely a local phenomenon, right? Purely just bone bone out of place, fixed bone. It only impacts that area. But she talks about how for, uh, 
neuroscientists and how it's so important for the brain to keep an inner map of a position, especially of our spine, right? If it's housing our nervous system, keeping that internal map of the location of our muscles and joints in a 3D space and relative to each other and how detrimental a faulty inner map can be for an individual. And she kind of goes into some, some different stuff, but I think it's cool to, when we think about a subluxation, it, we're really rewiring, we're really remapping what the brain sees, right? Totally. So with her stuff, I mean, man, she gets into a lot of stuff of how actual neurology works and, and scientists come into play. But then she discusses how if chiropractic is to maintain chiropractic, it's going to seek to, to change and impact the brain's internal reality and restoring proper processing and integration of sensory information, which alters the way the brain controls our body. And when we talk about, she discusses later what it takes to get into that physiological change, that neurological change. And she talks about how an adjustment, I think it's on page 45, how an adjustment versus mobilization or manipulation is, it has to be under 200 milliseconds in speed. And that was like the biggest game changer for me when I was going through school. I was like, dude, first of all, she talks about it can take up to two to three years to learn how to adjust at that speed. Okay. So that's about the time we're in school a little bit longer. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but you think about like you and I, we were in our technique classes Dude, we were the only ones in there, I mean, outside of school, whatever, but in our technique classes, we were the only ones in there on adjusting day, like actually adjusting. Yeah, dude, that was always like, I mean, it was sad for sure, but like, right. it was literally the same thing every time for sure. It really was. And we it, got better for it too. We, guys, we were trying out like different adjustments that usually we don't do, sing, like just the different stuff that we were learning we were like, I don't know. Let's just try it out. See how, see how it goes. <laughs> right. We were like, uh, things for each other. Yeah. Get some feedback too. I mean, yeah. From uh, Dr. Hines. I mean, Dr. Hines is, he's uh, one of the cooler and like, not in like a, Hey, cool type way, but like, uh, right. I don't know, his background's super interesting to me, especially how he got his, uh, I don't know what the degree is, but he, got an extra degree in like Palmer uh, history. Oh, the philosophy. Yeah, oh, the yeah. philosophy of history. So I thought that was like, I mean, that's just well, like, he runs that whole department, right? It, exactly. So I don't know, getting feedback from somebody like that to me is, that's, that's you can't really that's put a price tag on that, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, we'd be the only ones in there like 95% of the time on the job. Right. Right. So that was just wild to me. So like you think about all those people that hadn't adjusted up until that point, maybe they adjusted in that last year clinic, that last couple of months, mm -hmm. but then they get into practice and they're still going to take another two or three years to really solidify that speed and adjustment. Now, I'm not totally. saying I'm perfect in my speed or anything like that, but, but this is something that re reaching that, like, like you said, that speed and then having the consistency to like repeat that speed, like right. that's not something that comes overnight, you know? No, it definitely takes that cultivation. Um, you don't get that with a degree anyway, <laughs> or as I can <laughs> tell. You don't automatically get speed. 
But that was one of my favorite parts in the book because then every time I lay my hands on somebody, my intention is, okay, I need to be fast because I want to impact their nervous system. I want to physiologically change the way their inner mapping is. Mm -hmm. So I need to be quick. You know, that whole, um, you know, I mean, both of us learning under Mali, just getting all that, that intention prior to the actual adjustment so we can be as quick as we can be. Um, soft hands move fast, right? Like that was totally. the premise and that's what we were ingrained with. And I think I love that part about the chiropractic science is that if we're trying to influence the brain, we need to be at a certain threshold and hold ourselves to that standard too. Cause it's very easy to go in and be like, I'll just mobilize this bone. Like <laughs> very easy to, to get in that rut. But guys, when we talk about connection, intention, and purpose, like we need to have that intention and that purpose after we connect it with our patient to give a proper chiropractic adjustment. Dude. Can't, can't uh, put any more emphasis on it than that, dude. Um, right. Speed, speed's king, right? I mean, in a way you need to be, have a whole bunch of other things in place, but you need to add speed. Speed's essential to a chiropractic adjustment for sure. Sure. I, I had some, a pretty cool correlation to with what you kind of went off with uh, the, the impact on the, on the nervous system and the brain. So this is from Brain's Way of Healing by Norman Doidge. So this is his, this is a page talking about brain injury, just put it in context. So um, in a brain injury from whatever cause, um, toxins, stroke, infection, radiation therapy, you know, trauma, like a blow to the head, some sort of degenerative disease, neurons die and they cease to give off signals. But others are damaged. And the key is, these don't necessarily like become silent. So living brain tissue by nature is excitable, just like other like muscle tissue, like right. it has like a resting potential, right? So it's right. excitable. And even when a brain circuits off, it continues to give some sort of like electrical signal. So although it's Ooh. different, but it's at a slower rate than it is when it's activated or kind of like when it's on, like, like an on switch. So in this view, the brain's kind of like the heart. So at rest, it doesn't stop. Rather, it kind of shifts into like a resting state. So when the heart's electrical system's damaged, like with a, like a MI or a heart attack, yeah. um, it loses the ability to regulate the firing rate. So it gives off like kind of aberrant signals and it loses the, um, and it has various kinds, like with like the natural pacemakers that it has. So they may mm -hmm. run too slowly or they might be like running too fast with like tachycardia like a increase a elevated heart rate. Yeah. So this leads to irregular beats or arrhythmia and dysrhythmia. So same thing, like concepts with the brain. So the kind of yeah. like noisy brain, you know, if I've ever heard anybody like, oh, I'm just in bed and I just like feel like my brain's just running a hundred miles a minute. So mm -hmm. in the brain, these irregular signals have an effect on all, <clears throat> all the networks that they're connected to. So messing up their functions as well as, um, meshing up their functions as well unless the brain can shut down the damaged neurons so the damaged neurons are like sending all these like messy signals right yeah like they're just like, they're like at this resting state that's not it's like that in the tune. fuzzy on a tv exactly yeah static like on a telephone wire right? yeah that's what we talk about a lot so in many brain problems we know neurons are firing at the wrong or unusual rates so problems like epilepsy, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, mm. <clears throat> stuff like this, many sleep problems, brain injuries, um, 
to create a noisy brain because so many signals are out of sync. Something similar is seen in the aging brain in the brains of children with learning disorders and sensory problems when neurons can't fire sharp, clear signals. Yeah. So when sick, when sick neurons are rendered healthy, or render the healthy ones that receive their, their regular signals ineffective, they become dormant. So like they're just like hanging out. Yeah. And then, uh, let's see. So more recent study. So this was, uh, um, is, is in the book. He talks about it. It's called Taub's group. So using brain scans, it's shown that when a stroke kills neurons, what's called like an infarct, kind of the same thing as like a heart attack, the infarct yeah. area, other neurons are still living, but far from dead cells can show signs of atrophy or wasting away. So yeah. kind of a lot there, right? But so overall, they don't, they don't actually die. They're there they just are in a more dormant state right and like uh kind of like a use it or lose it type thing and not like they're damaged so like they're out of sync right and then you stop right. kind of using that area and like you start i mean you kind of start relying on other areas of your brain mm -hmm. or at least in somebody who's healthy brain super complex kind of like uh you, know, you can kind of like your brain can rewire the, the patterns it use, needs to use to access certain parts. Yeah. So some of those areas that are damaged, unless you find a better way to access that part of your brain, will start like getting smaller and like you know, atrophy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I just thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, well, that reminds like me of what's, um, you know, when we talk about traumatic brain injury, um, especially with like NFL players today, right? Right. And it's a similar concept they yeah have, have gotten hit so many times that it's it's affecting their brain but what was the guy's name he was the quarterback and he received atlas orthogonal or something um i've never heard of this oh really i don't think so he, i think he was the quarterback for the 49ers i can't remember what his name is but we watched it in steve young Maybe might have been Steve Young, or it could have been Joe Montana, or shoot, maybe he, like... maybe he wasn't the Forty ers But so, anyways, he was talking about he he had these effects on his brain because he had gotten so many so many traumas, so many micro traumas over the years, and he just like couldn't. He was trying to do puzzles, like his brain, just like you said, like that scatter was just there, mm -hmm. and he. I mean, when you talk about that, his brain's literally atrophying. And in in like daily yeah. going through that. But he received his adjustment and he talks about how it felt like the toilet got flushed. Like everything that was like not functioning right just got like cleared out. Dude, yeah, and CSF flow is, that's so huge. I mean, what can you imagine is more impactful on like your brain to regulate? Right. Well, and know, it was damage. That, it was that connection too, right? Like he had had such a block up. Yeah that hadn't been reconnected for so many years. And when it was reconnected, I think kind of like what you're saying that, that neuron, even though it was dormant before it had that, I don't know, it, it reconnected, like the lights came on, you know, and mm -hmm. he was like, Oh, this is how it was supposed to feel, you know? And he didn't, he wasn't like perfect or anything like that, but just to touch on that point where that atrophy comes into play, but it's not like it's irreparable. No, so exactly. You know, but, over over the uh, 
over the longer amount of time that you have these, you know, certain parts of your neurons, brain atrophying, the smaller, you know, atrophy is just like the kind of like the shrinkage, right? Of like red muscle tissue. You see any, anybody put a cast on over like three months, their arms are going to be smaller than the <laughs> one that wasn't in the cast, right? So, right. Um, and with the brain, that's just like it impacts the ability to whatever, you know, whatever part of your brain that's uses that hippocampus or, you know, whatever area is damaged right. functions of that area, obviously are going to fall suit. So, right. That's and the ability for you to bounce back is going to be less. Well, and she was talking about too in her book and how that spinal dysfunction, that subluxation comes into play with how, like how, how detrimental it is to the chronic issues. Right. And when we have that atrophy, we have that, spinal segment that's subluxated for a long period of time it affects how the brain perceives and controls the spine and then how it perceives and controls the rest of the body Dude, so i found this uh really cool um so it's it's from it's this study done in germany and uh it relates or it's talking so a lot of people you know in chiropractic a lot of people really like to focus on the myofascial system right, right. so this is like uh, a really cool parallel to how how the brain impacts the myofascial system and i think it's it's pretty and it really goes well with what we're talking about today so mm-hmm. um so this is in context of the book so feldenkross he was like one of the uh main researchers that that worked on the brain's brain healing so yeah feldenkross said he he wanted not flexible bodies, but flexible brains, which would create flexible bodies in his eyes. His colleagues uh, helped him with body tensions, spasticities, postural problems. And one of his colleagues would stretch the the fascia to free up the person's range of motion based on the assumptions that the fascial layers kind of have those adhesions that make them stick. And the Feldenkrais practitioners, they did it a little differently. So they claimed that it was the brain that caused the restrictions. So the head of this research group <clears throat> at Ulm University in Germany set up a study and his colleagues examined patients with like restrictions in their muscles and like their fascia and they put them under anesthesia. And the hypothesis was that like the restriction co- being caused by the brain would then when the brain's under anesthesia would kind of like cause some of the myofascial system to like chill out just yeah. if it's controlled by the brain, right? So right. they ended up finding that most of the previous detected restrictions appear to be significantly improved, if not absent, during the condition of anesthesia. It seems that would have been perceived as mechanical fi- tissue fixation may at least be partially due to neuromuscular regulation, which I don't think many, if hardly anybody, hears that type of message, especially when you're working on, uh, you know, I mean, nothing wrong with it, but like Graston and like a lot of soft tissue techniques where they're really working on fascia and like loosening up fascia this literally just says that the brain is the main proprietor of that tension so right. yeah you keep you keep getting rid of that fascia that tension but you're not getting rid of that main problem right there's some dysfunction right. in the brain causing that 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 tension so um i thought that was really cool and it's really very eye-opening yeah especially when like you talk about like where do most people get fascia work done PT. Yeah, but I mean, like, where, where oh. on their body? 
uh, shoot, probably traps, low back. Yeah, I'm thinking too, like a lot of people get it done on their extremities, right? Yeah. How many chiros out there adjust the extremity properly when they do their fat? I don't know many. Um, If you do, props to you. But um, I don't know. There's There's a lot that goes into that that I think it brings it back around to how important the adjustment is. You can't neglect it. You can't 100%. neglect a portion of, like, yeah, I feel really good if I get Graston or something. Well, actually, I feel horrible because it hurt. But, <laughs> but if you're not getting that adjustment with it, then, like you said, that fascia, that neurointegration too. And on the other on the other part too, like, they talk a lot about this in KTC is – how the fascia speaks to the brain and how when you are adjusting, when you are um, providing a force into that fascia and it's, it's stimulation into the brain in that, that course back, how important it is. Yeah. Because if you, if you are speaking into the fascia, but then you're also speaking into the nervous system and it has that ripple effect, right? You have, um, anatomy trains that comes into that so while you're if you're doing grassing and stuff like yeah that's a part of it but if you aren't if you aren't providing that ripple effect through the fascia then it's not going to speak to the brain in the same way either totally and uh you always want to i mean my my eyes and as chiropractors you always want to do the single greatest thing for somebody so yeah you know, um might provide temporary relief working on certain things but if you could provide something of greater value that could ultimately you know impact two different or multiple multiple facets of dysfunction i mean that's that should be the name of the game for you right there so, okay why don't you speak um, to some of what you found in um dd's stuff too so, before we get into i got chestnut stuff so i want to dive into dd so real quick totally so some of the cool things with uh the early like 18 1900s when dd was really developing and creating the foundations of chiropractic where he was really having to battle even the concepts of spinal misalignments and Mm -hmm. there was a lot of early research done by like the medical community really trying to figure out um you know anything from like dislocations or like complete um i don't know there's like a trying to think of the actual article it's uh what it goes over but Essentially, um, the definition of luxation was being uh, researched, I guess is the right word, but uh, really trying to figure out the degree of what would actually cause the distortions and more specifically the spine and the amount of force and like the ways to actually reduce the impacts on the body. So one thing that they would obviously do is they would probably, not probably, they would put somebody under anesthesia like I just talked about but you know back in like early probably like it's calling 1900 anybody with like a like a severe wry neck or some sort of uh oh what's the term toward a pelvis type type predisposition they would essentially put them under anesthesia and force them into like a corrected position and they obviously didn't really understand the implications and 
this was a forced maneuver. It was a manipulation in a way that would be um, mechanically correct, but often one of the biggest things that you know they would be doing or they would have to oh it's uh they would essentially have to like kind of warn people that what they would do could potentially really really harm them or maybe kill them in some instances with somebody with like a right neck because i mean they were doing it in such a manipulative way that they would just i mean it's it's a mechanical mechanical fix so for them if they yeah. saw somebody with like a right neck they would put them under anesthesia and really just like crank their, their head or whatever to like fix it or try to and some people would get better right i mean right. some people would get better that's what they did end up finding and um i can't exactly remember like the discussion talking about uh luxation versus uh like total dislocation but you know um they did it is in there it's in the adjuster i don't have it pulled up exactly but uh yeah i'm trying to think of one thing that I love about, and I don't know if you just touched on this, but um, when I was first, when I was probably like third try, and just the discussion of subluxation and its true meaning, and partial the reason why they chose it was because, you know, in the medical community, subluxation could be defined as like the dislocation aspect of it. Right. But then there's also the the double portion of it where it's, sub you know underneath less than less than and then lux is light yep and that like whole concept of less light flowing through the nerves is just mind-blowing did you just touch oh, on that no but uh that's a really good point <laughs> and that that's uh something that like you know when we were early in school that's like something was like whoa i guess like well like one of the first right, first right. Thing, like, like, dang, oh, like that's just, like such it's like really, a, a deep thought, right? So yeah. It's like, oh, that's very profound for me to think of it in that way early on. And, um, you know, the more you learn about light is it's another frequency of matter and energy, just like mm. everything else that we experience, right? So a reduction of frequency, a reduction of, of matter or like that mental yeah. impulse, that, that flow of, uh, of light, of um, life force, right? right that's that's what that subluxation is that that was that mind-blowing moment too where i was like okay it's not just a mechanical fix it's a right. it's a whole and chestnut touches on this and we've been through this with mally stuff too it's it's neurology kinesiology um there, i mean there, there was like five there, there's four. i i have eight or no i have i have nine different you know ways you can qualitative and quantitative properties of subluxation and maybe that's so, what it is because there was all those different ones. So Real quick, qualitative. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So qualitative properties, you can have like kinetic energy. The vascular bed can be just you know mm -hmm. you have subluxation of the vascular bed, yeah. nerve function, muscular function, biochemical functions. I mean that's right. where you kind of get into like some of what you really work with lots of times well this way like biochemical yeah. functions for sure for qualitative yeah. properties. Then you can get yeah. your quantitative stuff with like myologic system, syndesmologic system, arthrology, and osteologic proportions. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's, you it's very deep. So, the, with those nine, too, what I love is that you, you can't have you, – you can't just isolate one and you can't leave out one. Right. Like, they're all impacted. They're all – They're all can, ingredients in the same cake. Yep. <laughs> 
man. And I love, I love when this science develops like this because, I mean, you, you and I have heard it like chiropractors are quacks, like we don't know what we're talking about. There's no science to validate what we're talking about. There hasn't been enough research because we're still like a young profession. This was just something that I was thinking about in, in regards to theory and now where science is actually moving in the direction of validation. And Well, it has been, but um, the breakdown of it is they get caught. Some people get caught up on the theory, but mm -hmm. it, like you were talking about earlier that I kind of forgot to mention this is, do you want to, you want to think about like how medicine started, how we actually found out about the human body was because people were doing things that were illegal. They were snatching bodies and studying them, you know, and there's all these different things where like pe people want to talk about the weird beginnings of chiropractic and like, Oh, did he actually, was Harvey Lilla actually deaf or like, what was adjusted? And they want to harp on that. But at the end of the day, like, man, medicine, it's some weird stuff too. Totally. You know, many people right. might think, yeah. The amount of weird stuff that you read about still today that, that goes on, it's like, yeah, but I yeah. said in China, they're giving people anal swabs for COVID testing. I mean, talk about <laughs> doing weird shit, man. I don't Some weird, takes weird the cake. Stuff. Weird stuff for sure. So, I mean, that was just something that I forgot to mention earlier that I wanted to bring around because I, was, I saw something in uh, Chestnut's book, but yeah, man, all those pieces of, of the pie that come into play with chiropractic and the adjustment, that's what I love about it. You know, there's, not, there's not just, it's not just a local phenomenon. And in fact, you can't even have that. That's not even, Chestnut touches on this in his book here. Um, he talks about the idea of like what's the medical paradigm versus chiropractic paradigm and in it he talks about we study physiology not pathology because we recognize that most of what allopathy labels as pathology is actually the body mind attempting in the most intelligent way possible to adapt to the stressful environment in which it has been placed this paradigm is what determines both the goal of chiropractic care and the unique contribution chiropractic has to make to humankind. Chiropractic endeavors to provide physiologically compatible care in order to support the human being's innate abilities to adapt to the environment right. and to regain homeostasis and health. Um, that, Go ahead. That has been one of the main, like, things when I look at chiropractic versus allopathy, and obviously allopathy has its place, medical model has its place, emergency medicine I think is bar none to what, it, you know, I don't wanna be breaking somebody's chest open for a heart attack, right? For sure. But when you talk about physiologically compatible care, that that is at its core chiropractic. Yeah, we always yeah. need to be seeking that, that physiological com compatible care because with that nine that you just listed, we're not seeking to manipulate anything within that. We are merely making it so that any one of those nine can function as they should without inhibition. 100%. Adding or detracting, right? So I love the idea of physiologically compatible care, and that's what makes us so different is that we're not, we're not trying to manipulate the body in the way of like what we think it should necessarily do. Or we're not trying to, to, you know, we're not trying to boost it or enhance it. No. Because it has all the capabilities it needs. It just needs 
no interference. 100%. One thing we provide to people when they come, when they come to our practice, um, is just explaining how chiropractics differ than medicine. So yeah, that mindset shift is huge. It is. And, and establishing the, the lack of boundaries, right? Like the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, re- really kind of reconditioning, I guess the, the process yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really, I mean, a lot of people don't hear this, but like health and well-being, those are normal. Like those are normal things that you should want to strive for and attain because those are what we're, I mean, what's another word for normal, right? Like that's just literally what we're supposed to be. And having them, you know, really setting up and having them understand that your nervous system controls everything, that this system can be overloaded and how it's overloaded, that's what we take care of, right? Yeah, yeah you remove the interference for sore health. Like that's huge. So, right. Simple, simple, simple. Right. And that's what I tell my patients too, is just like you have, your body has a million tasks, tasks to keep track of. How can we remove tasks within your body, especially when it comes down to subluxation? Like that's a task that your body has to keep track of. And not only that, it, it minimizes its ability to do other tasks properly. Totally. And usually that's when the light bulb goes on from there. Like, Oh yeah. Like it makes sense that I wouldn't want my body to be bogged down with, you know, I try to, I use the example of like, if I were to give you homework for the rest of the week, would you rather do 10 things of homework or would you rather do one? Like everybody would choose one unless you're crazy. (laughs) Right. Exactly. We're trying to minimize the amount of homework the body has to do and keep track of so that it can be normal, just like you said, it can be at that homeostatic function. Yeah. One thing I always think about was your, one of your videos that you had, bro, of uh, allostatic load. Mm. And I found something in The Bigness of Fellow Within by BJ Palmer that I, I yeah. um, to me, that was like a visual of like what this little portion is talking about. And it's um, talking about concussion of forces so there's the external invasionary force and the internal resistant force right so and there's obviously amplitudes of both so just talking statically yeah yep so this is uh operating on the presumption that we have 100 percent internal resistance like 100 percent, right so like right. that's just if we're operating at our best so um if there's an external invasionary force of 400% or three or three times greater than the resistance the result could be fracture or some sort of break in the body. Yeah. If in, you know, if their internal resistance is still hundred percent and let's say we have a 300% external invasionary force or twice greater than that hundred percent resistance the result could be a dislocation. If that external invasionary force is about 200% or about, you know, one time greater than our internal resistance, the result could be a uh, subluxation. Mm. So, um, you know, talking about different amplitudes of inversionary forces of the body and operating at 100% resistance in the, of that internal force, yeah. that's, you know, um, different ways that, like, I feel like viewing, you know, you talk about talking about subluxation and what is it and relation to like dislocation and fractures, I feel like that's it right there. Like mm-hmm. you're not always going to have those same amount of 
you know, forces coming into the body that are going to produce a fracture, right? But right. they're still damaged. They're still, your, your system's still perceiving that. Like, it's just like, yeah. just because you didn't have a, a break or a dislocation doesn't mean that that couldn't have been harmful to your system, right? So, oh, yeah. Um, I feel like that's a, a big misconception that some people have with their bodies and just like life in general. Like, you miss a step going down the stairs you didn't like break something or you didn't dislocate your your leg right but you can still yeah. injure yourself right yeah so um and the big takeaway is a lot of people aren't operating at that 100 percent internal uh resistant force you know most people aren't operating at 100 percent ability to uh to adapt to be adaptable yeah. to their environment so yeah um, the biggest thing is uh that's why like the location or subluxations or sickness and disease is that lowered resistance, right? That's what the real yeah. sickness is, right? So, um, right. That's and why subluxations, fractures, dislocations are more likely to happen in sick, more likely elderly people yeah. than a healthy young person because they have less yeah. internal resistance. Yep. And yet, who sees chiropractic least? probably right. our generation or <laughs> right when we're at our prime ability to create internal adaptation versus internal reaction forces and yet we neglect it the most because we're fine right yep. and one thing one thing that i think goes along with that you mentioned like you don't necessarily have to hurt yourself to have an impact and chestnut kind of dives into this a little deeper as far as like nociception mm -hmm. pain Yep. You have perceived no susception and you have, you have, well, you have perceived no susception as you like, you feel it. Like if I like strain my back, like that's perceived no susception. But if I, let's say I'm lifting and there's something, I have a sublux vertebra in my low back. Well, that can still have brain perceived no susception, but I don't, inherently view it as pain it doesn't have to be painful but For my sure. body still creates an internal acute stress response to that so like your physiological response when you have a subluxation you don't need to feel pain because i we talked we talked about this a little bit before but you don't need to feel that pain and when you're going down the steps and even though you might not feel pain when you walk downstairs because like we're 20s, right? Like many of us don't feel pain when we go downstairs. But but is our brain perceiving that subluxation as nociception, which it does? And yeah. if you read if you read Chestnut's book, he dives into it a little bit deeper. But actually, let me let me pick up this part here real quick because he talks about the acute stress response and how it's it's full impact on the body. Yeah. And that's what kind of he, he touches on that allesthetic load, which is also where I got this from. Cool. But acute uh, stress response. And if you know physiology, you know all these. And it's 18, so it's a little bit longer. But increased cortisol, increased catecholamines, increased heart rate, increased vasoconstriction, increased blood pressure, increased blood glucose levels, increased blood lipid levels, increased blood cholesterol levels, increased clotting factors, increased protein de degradation of muscle and connective tissue, insulin resistance, increased feelings of stress, fear, anxiety, depression, decreased short-term memory, ability to concentrate and learn new material, decreased serotonin levels, increased noradrenaline levels, 
increased sensitivity of sensory systems, including those for pain, decreased cellular immunity, decreased anabolic hormones like growth hormone, testosterone, luteinizing hormone, bone loss, muscle fiber, and type changes. So these are 18 acute stress responses that happen when you have a sublux vertebra. Wow. Right? How many of those 18 can you attribute to many of the health conditions and diseases that we have today? 99%. Pretty, <laughs> pretty much all of them, right? Yeah. You get into this, this factor of like, okay, even though you might not be feeling pain, if you have a subluxation, you still have an acute stress response going on that can also turn into a chronic stress response that has all those 18. And those 18 over time, you talk about being in your 20s, these are 18 over time create issues down the line. Totally. And, and that, go ahead. Uh, so, I mean, just kind of like, you know, piggybacking on the ability or like you're not perceiving the pain. Right. Only 10% of our nervous system is dedicated to even nociception in general. Isn't that so, wild? Yeah. It's, so the, I mean, that means the rest, that means the rest is configuration. Well, I mean, you think about it, the brain sending millions of messages per second. So, yeah. Um, pain's a very like infinitesimal portion of like the percentage of like the, the amount of things that your brain and your like innate is processing all the time, yeah. Yeah. all the time. Like from you know, me digesting my coffee to uh, you know literally every function of your body, right? It's just like constantly in communication and you know keeping uh, keeping tabs on every every cell, gland, muscle, organ. So like yeah. pain, that's like. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's a portion, but like 10%. Like, yeah, yeah. I think that's just like a, a really big perspective that a lot of people don't understand mm -hmm. with, their, with their own body. Like, that's the thing that not just me, not just like the, a theoretical body, that's your body. Right. Your body's like, that's how you're designed too. Right. Well, when you talked about thresholds earlier, and each body is different within their threshold, within those resistant forces, right? Like, mm -hmm. what you mentioned like elderly versus young, but then also like how in you, you and I perceive are different and how Chantel and I, or Leilani and I, or Leilani and you, like people don't understand all the time is why I'm getting adjusted more than somebody or what is taking place. Like us as business owners, just starting into practice and like we're pretty active dudes too. Like, we're going to need adjusted more. Right. If we were at a time of like, I don't want to say bliss, but like, you know what I mean? Like less stress in its environment. Totally, dude. I mean, because, it has just... that. because no, those nine factors come into play. Right. Yes, sir. Exactly. Oh, right. Um, one other thing that I thought was pretty cool that I found in the bigness. So this is just like in relation to, uh, regeneration almost kind of like the healing process or at least like the, the re uh, replacement of like our cells so obviously everybody knows we're constantly or at least most people understand we're constantly kind of like shedding our bodies like old cells are replacing with new cells yeah. so some areas are faster than others some parts are take more time but right. it's generally recognized that we build a complete new body every seven years so if we shed isn't that crazy <laughs> right like that's why I always try to, um, you know, I've had a lot of people, at least people close to me that I've been working with on, uh, 
the development of self and just like changing, changing their habits and just changing their mindset. And literally like the, the physiological portion of it is like, you can be a completely new person in seven years wow. without even lifting a finger. So like, imagine if you put the work in and really want to take effort to changing who you are and even just like your mindset, the changes are, you can't even like, you can change however you want to be like the possibilities are limitless. Um, right. So if we, if we shed one tissue cell at a time at one second of a time and another tissue cell comes and takes its place in one second of a time, this would be normal growth, right? That's just like the normal yeah. rate. You know, you lose a cell, right. you replace a cell. And if we shed one tissue cell in one second of a time, the normal process um, and replace that loss with one tissue cell in three seconds of a time. And then there are two less cells or two cells subnormal in that unit of time. So like it took a little bit more time to replace that one cell. So the process was right. a little bit sub. So if we multiply time by like months or years, you have somebody who has a, uh, he describes it as Lily Pushin. I'm not really even sure what that means, but like to me, conceptually, I can kind of imagine like, you know, in surgery, right? Like if somebody has a, a, like a gallbladder removed, usually it's because, it's not because it's a, a live functioning gallbladder, it's because it's a deficient dead gallbladder that doesn't have a purpose. And how does a, yeah. According uh, to the, once, how does a once live organ and a live body die? Right. In this process, in my mind, they're not replacing yeah. their cells in a, uh, you know, a decrease. It comes down to decreased life force to that yep. area. Yep. And then this this is really cool too that uh, he gets into. So, in that same thing, we shed one tissue cell in one second of time. The normal process of shedding and replace that loss with three tissue cells in one second of time. Now we have two more tumor. Uh, two more two more tissue cells. Dang, so you have in a, constant balance. Yes, in a normal unit of time. And overall, if we, you know, over months, years, we have a giant, or if it's in a specific body organ or region of the body, we have a tumor, two more. Wow. So like that, that, that's yeah. how he writes it, right? So like, yeah. it's, a, uh, it's a double entendre, tumor and two more of like yeah. tissue cell growth. And to me, what's regulating yeah. that? How does the brain, the noisy brain, keep tabs on mm -hmm. how, like the cell regulation? too much the amount how does it find that perfect resting potential of one for one it's when it can Nate. communicate connected yeah. Nate. Yeah. but like like that's that's what we're dealing with right like right. the body to perceive itself yep there's but one cause of disease and that's the body's inability to perceive its internal or external environment the theory is there hey maybe uh Maybe a year from now, it'll come out that uh, that's the true cause of all cancer, right? You know, I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, but to me, that theory Shout out to the sense. human body, though. What's up? Shout out to the human body, though. Shout out to human, human body, man, because that balance of replication and destruction is wild. Like, yeah. get, getting that across to people's heads that, like, dude, you can do bodily functions without having to think about it, like, innate is astounding we don't have to think about the science of how our cells replicate it just does it but when we have decreased communication with innate then it can't do it properly so then we have yep. two more or not enough wow speaking of that point then too i want to bring up bj's quote about our profession as well 
while other professions are concerned with changing the environment to suit the weekend body. Weekend body. Chiropractic is concerned with strengthening the body to suit the environment. Hell yeah. What's the environment? Yeah. This. Dude. Yeah. I will. Human existence. Human experience. That's the environment. Right. And that's, that's one thing that like, so I was talking to a few people about this last night, the pro the, the object of vaccination, right? Mm-hmm. Which nowadays very sensitive subject. And at the end of the day, like you can feel free to sensitive make whatever. If you're insecure about it, I guess. I don't know. Like <laughs> anything else, if you can have a conversation about it. That's true. That's true. That's get emotional. Point. Then you're, I don't know, you're able to critically have a intellectual conversation. Right. Right. And right now we're seeking to push something upon a weakened body. Right. Not strengthen our suit. And I was just describing that process as like, okay, you can make whatever decision you want, but at the end of the day, like what two categories are you fitting in? Are you weakened and you are just providing something to that weakened state? Or are you strengthening the suit of armor? So yeah. that when you come into contact, I don't know, man. Figuring out ways to explain that to people to a way that they like, oh, I guess that makes sense. Um, right. means a lot. I mean, I think that goes a long way. And for me, you know, you know, for guys like us or athletes, I think it, it's really easy to equate it to. Does it make more sense, you know, for the overall, uh, you know, integrity and, and toughness of your team? Does it make more sense to play a, a soft as shit schedule against teams that are bad? Like, do you just want to play like peewee football players your entire, yeah, you know, that. Your entire uh, <laughs> season? Or do you want to play strong, you know, even though you're going to be playing strong teams, do you want to have a stronger team that you're, you know, do you ever want to have a better strength program, better practice regimen, or do you just want to like play worse teams? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just like, yeah. how do you have a stronger team in the end of the day? Right. Um, that analogy was less than perfect, but um, um, <laughs> I, I dig it. I hope okay. people connected with it. Do you have anything um, else that you want to throw in here? I want to end on a particular part that Chestnut touches on. Go but I it, want bro. to dive into anything that – you got anything else, though, that you wanted to dive into? Honestly, I pretty much covered most of everything. I did have a little bit on um, uh, the process of – Honestly, I can save it for a different day. It, it doesn't really quite tie into what we were going over, but I had it, you know, yeah, you know, in the in the in the repertoire if the conversation led there. But dude, I'll save it for another day. It's all good. Go ahead. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. So when um, Chestnut's kind of talking about the introduction of the vertebral sublux subluxation complex and how dis ease comes into play, um, and he kind of talks about how the subluxation is a cause or type of non-homeostatic cellular physiology and adaptative cellular function. And he says, says, so where did, sorry, I thought I was crying for a second. So where does that leave us? Right where D.D. Palmer wants us to be. We restore homeostatic function by removing interferences to and providing essential raw materials for homeostatic function. By the way, proper somatosensory afferent input into the cerebral cortical loops of life is absolutely recognized as essential in, in an ingredient for homeostatic mind, body function, and health. 
and proper spinal joint motion and alignment are essential for proper somatosensory afferent input. Yes, sir. How the body, re- how the body responds to the correction of VSC, so vertebral subluxation complex, depends on how many other interferences we remain and how many other essential ingredients for proper functioning are missing. We do not treat disease. We do not treat symptoms. We remove interference and provide ingredients for homeostatic function for health and wellness. And I just, I don't know. Snaps, yep. Snaps for yeah, that. Uh, snap that one up. That one's yeah. wild. I think we get so caught up in that pathology, man. We don't treat disease. Totally. We remove whatever is interfering yeah, with the body, I mean, but it does. Did you download my, that Wim Hof app? I did, yeah. I've been uh, I've trying to do more. Um, I've definitely been incorporating back into my my regiment. I, I was really good about taking cold showers in the summer nice. and even into the fall, but kind of fell off when it started getting cold. The temperature started dipping down, but I've started getting that back into that. And honestly, um, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I just need to I need to have this warm period where I can at yeah. least increase my body temperature at first, but then I end it yeah. at least with 30 seconds or more, at least this week. I'll probably bump it up more the more I keep going. Right. But um, yeah, the it's been going really well, man. Um, really helping ground myself with the with the breathing, the, well, the breath it, work. In it, when he does the guided meditation, I don't know if you've done it too. Haven't he, done that yet. Oh, you should do it because in it he talks about. He said, "Let the body do what it is capable of doing." Nice. Dude, that just ties in so nicely to. We don't treat disease. Let we let the body do what it's capable of doing. Remove that interference, man. Yes, sir. At the end of the day, science, science, man. Science is a, it's not a perfect, it's not a perfect method. Um, there's definitely inherent flaws just because our, our human experience is limited to our, our five senses, but that's not the limit to the universal experience. Ooh. And um, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the more you learn about physics and the more you learn about I don't know, the intricacies of um, the human, like just like experiences that like the, that occur in the universe. Like the more you realize we're pretty limited in scope with, you know, the scientific method. Like it's just, we can only perceive, you know, very little on the spectrum. So um, I think humbling, you know, humbling research i mean like in my eyes like it it humbles it more to like yeah like that's that's cool but like in my opinion at the end of the day like that is still in scope limited to what we perceive because this is reality like i know they do the best that they can to create an environment to where it's like very controlled to where they only have one variable and one like the rest is control yeah but when it comes to healing it comes to the human body it comes to human experience it's not that way ever there there's infinite variables because right. you know what i mean just like there's anybody's upbringing anybody's history like those are just so many so many variables with that you can't even account for them in a way so right um, not to downplay the I don't know, the importance of research or anything like that that's the opposite it is important and i just want to say that having that uh that grand scheme, that, that scope is important too. Right. Yep. You got to take it all into account. Don't be so linear necessarily. Nope. Yes, sir.
Dang, cool, bro. That. What a day. What Coming a day. On a Super Sunday. Bowl Super Bowl Sunday. Sunday. Super Bowl Science Sunday. <laughs> yes, sir. Who are you taking today? I mean, I got to go with Mahomes, man. For sure. For sure. Brady, 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 we got some. I mean, obviously with the Colts, man, you got some bad, bad blood. blood. He doesn't need no more championships. Although I will say, dude, how old is he? 43? 40. Dude, I think he, yeah, probably 43. I, maybe, I don't know why I'm thinking it's 45 sounds right, but. Anyways, dude is uh, phenomenal for his age. Um, He's 43. That can't be disputed. So. I mean, that guy's doing something different in his. He's been operating differently for a while. And I think uh, with some of these elite athletes like LeBron James, Tom Brady, that have this longevity, an elite level of performance, um, look what they're doing, right? Like with their bodies. Like, and yeah, yeah, of course, people always like, oh, yeah, well, they have millions of dollars to spend. I get that for sure. But in a way, um, that's a lot too. Like, if you're going to be spending thousands of dollars on your health insurance, which is important. I mean, I'm not saying don't have a health insurance, but like there's more to health than just being able to be ready for like a car accident. Right. So like, mm-hmm. why not invest more into your body outside of health insurance? Yeah. Actually promote healthy habits and healthy lifestyle things that can prevent you from ever having those breakdowns. Right. Like these guys. I, right. I mean, I, right. I came out with something last spring but I like to term the 200 year lifestyle and I'm, it's still like a work in progress. But like, if I, if I live in such a way to live to 200, then I should be able to make it to like at least 100. Right. Like, totally. <laughs> hey, dude. Like if, I'm, if I'm trying to get to that point, then like, it'll it, shoot for the stars and I'll still make it into existence, bro. Right. Rip Van, Wink- there, so. Rip Van Winkle, man. Rip Van Winkle that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what's up, man. Well, brother, it's been awesome talking about science today. I hope everybody listening had some great um, just – man, this, we dove into a lot, but definitely get into some of the books we mentioned too. Um, yeah, where, where can really we pick cool. up uh, Heidi Havoc at? Is that uh, Barnes & Noble? I'm pretty, sure it's on her web, I'm pretty sure it's on her website. Yeah, okay. I think you can pick it up from there. I think it's on Amazon too. Chestnuts is only on his website from what I remember. I can put those in the show though too. Um, And if you don't have Dee's books, then (laughs) you got to get on that. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, if anybody has any, has read some of these books and wants to kind of reach out and talk about that too, I'd love to hear more about them because I don't have have Heidi Havoc or James Chestnut. Um, I'd love to hear more about that. If anybody listening or watching has any insight, I'd love to hear about it. Because, I mean, yep. yes, their interpretation can be different than mine. That's for sure. Hey, let's connect. Connection. With, with some intention. intention with with some intention. Always. Always a heck of a lot of purpose. <laughs> Choose your destiny.